If you've read the very beginning of the Bible and the account of the creation of the world, then you will know that God made the world and included in it the idea of work. So for example in Genesis chapter 2, the account where God makes the world and at the end of his labours, God is delighted with what he has made. <laughs> yeah, but we're not doing it now, Kevin. Okay, we've moved on. Uh, so... <laughs> Eyes on the preacher. <laughs> so Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 says this. The heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Skip to the end of that paragraph. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. So think about this. Work was included in the paradise creation of God at the very beginning. Uh, Tim Keller, and this quote will appear on the screen, says this. It is perfectly clear that God's plan always included human beings working. Or more specifically, living in a constant cycle of work, rest, work. Now, of course, when I use this word work, I'm, I'm not narrowing it down to a paid job, though it includes that. Uh, it could include any of the productive activities that we give ourselves to as humans through life. So studying, or parenting, or, or the labour that brings us food, or, or shelter, uh, working for ourselves, working for others, working as volunteers, or working for money, and that might even be called a job. So work covers the vast range of where we are involved as productive humans in that thing that God had at the very beginning. Now, I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to find someone near you, maybe not the person you know, so turn the other side, and I'd love you to tell them what's the worst work moment that you've had, okay? I mean, if you're a parent, it might be the changing of the nappies, uh, etc. If you're a student, it might be when you turned up and you realise you're enrolled on the wrong course, or whatever it might be. But what's your worst work moment? You've just got 30 seconds, so straight to it, and then we'll move on. Great. Good chats. So, because of how God involved work at the very beginning of the creation of the whole work world, work has to be, therefore, more than just utility. Work has to be far more than just a thing we do that pays us money in order for us to get on with the rest of our lives and to fund the necessary things that we need to do. So according to God, work is not what we do to live, but what we live and were created in order to do. So just like a fish is alive in water, if if you free the fish from the water to liberate it, it would die because water is what it needs to live. 
Work is intrinsically part of our identity as humans, something that we need in order to make sense of who we're called to be. Now, you might love your work, you might find it hard, you might have too much work or the wrong work, you might be wanting to move work, your work might be overwhelming or maybe it's not stimulating or challenging enough, you might like half of your work and hate the other half. But I'm not in that sense talking about our emotions to do with our job, but that sense that we have been built as people to work and discover what it means to know God through, amongst other things, how we work and how we feel about that. And so work is good for people. It's good for being a human being. It's part of our identity. Another Tim Keller quote. Tim Keller says this, People who are cut off from work for physical or for other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. See, I think we've all had that lurking thought one day that something might happen and we could then live a life of leisure. Okay? And I think there's some people who might wholeheartedly you know, even embrace that. And holidays are great, and you know, maybe you could take a year off and do something else, and I'm sure that would be great as well. But... A life of just leisure, which would be a life without productive work, would be bad. If I've I've met people and talked at length with people who've, uh, through the family upbringing and the circumstances of their life and the culture of their family, have gone a long way into adulthood and never ever engaged with a job. And so their whole identity has been shaped and Molded in some ways around the dream of the leisure of having no work to do. But the reality is it's not a dream at all because it crushes and reduces who they are as people. A person might enjoy not having to work and of course there are times when we need to rest whether it's a day of rest a week or a well-earned holiday. But never ever working or never understanding our work would diminish a person as a human. Imagine a perfect place. Imagine the creation that God made. Imagine a utopia in heaven above or heaven on earth here. Have you got something in your mind? Can you imagine that sort of, you know, that golden cloud, wonderful, perfect, idyllic place. Guess what? In that perfect place, if you are there, there is work. There's a job for you in heaven. You will not just be on an eternal holiday, but productivity as a created person will be built even into that. So work is something that's important to God. It's part of the life that he created for humans, and so work is actually something that is spiritual. Now we often separate those two, and sometimes we use the word vocation. I, I my work is as a priest, so I often uh, am told 
my work is a vocation. The word vocation simply means that you were called to it. So any work that you were asked by anyone to come and do is in a sense a vocation. The, the Lutheran Church have a, this brilliant idea that comes up in one of their prayers at some point through the year and they say this, when we work we become the hands of God. Now that, that's hinting at something of this understanding that our work and our spirituality are not separate things but actually our work is deeply spiritual because God made it to be that way. So here's a question, whatever your work is for you and you may have two or three aspects of work in your life, I have, um, do you see it as a vocation? Do you see it as something that someone or even God called, asks you to do? Do you see your work as something spiritual? Or do you just see your work as something um, that you do in order to have the leisure, in order to be spiritual between 3.45 and 5pm on Sunday at G2, and hence you've separated the two apart? John Calvin, the famous uh, reformer, said this, everybody's work is a calling. He said this, that the monk and the priest is called no less or no more than the farmer or the iron monger. And so that famous theologian Calvin understood that actually everyone should see their work as something spiritual. Uh, Now let's, if you've got a, oh you have a Bible in front of you, do you want to turn to Luke chapter 5? And I want to read to you a short story involving Jesus and work. So Luke 5, chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets and catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So when they'd done so and caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break and so they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus cares about work. And in this little story, he engages with people who are working. He finds some fishermen that have been busy 
all night there, dis- disappointed by what's happened in their work. They're cleaning the nets to get ready for the next time that they go. And he, he has an encounter with them. He didn't invite them to a special religious meeting. He didn't say, pop along to the synagogue at 3.45 on Saturday. He joined them in where they worked. So for them, it was Jesus comes to work day. And he turns up in their place of work. Jesus doesn't have an office. He doesn't have a website with pictures and videos and things they can download. Jesus goes to them in their work. As God's representative, he was finding these men in what they did, part of their identity. And on the whole, our society used to have a sense of a stronger connection between work and God. For example, chaplains in the workplace or religious assemblies in school, church services on the radio, even prayers in parliament or before local council meetings, shops that used to be closed on Sunday because it's a special day to focus on God, even free parking on Sunday. Keep praying it might come back. One word to describe this this transition, this movement, this despiritualizing of work is called secularization. And secularization is when society and culture and, and whatever we do and what, who we uh, are drift away from the influence of Christianity and the church and spiritual thought. Um, so, for example, the video that I didn't get to show you, which is of Bear Grylls, and I work for Alpha in my other work, um, and we wanted to show that great video uh, in every cinema around the UK. And a secular society said no, because it has a religious theme. So secularization is where spirituality is progressively moved from culture and society and from work. And if we box our work, if we partition how we think and behave about our work we progress the idea of secularising our lives and we despiritualize our understanding of work. If we understand the creation reason for work, then we should actually be people who are spiritualising our work and joining work with family and friendships and with understanding God and with thoughts and discussions and ideas about God, so that our lives as people isn't secularised and partitioned and divided, but it's joined up with who we are. And probably more importantly and more radically, we ought to be those who are helping everyone else in their work to spiritualise and understand how their work is part of how they should understand God in their lives. What would it look like if you, in your work, wherever that might be, with the people you meet at, or university, or school, or the job that you're involved in, if tomorrow somebody who shared that work with you, you asked them the question, um, how is your work helping you to discover more about God? 
Now, I, I, I know there are loads of rules why you can't do that, you know, why you can't, as a line manager, make that action point number one on the discussion list. But maybe there is a way that that can happen. Maybe there is a way that we can represent spirituality in workplace. The second thing I noticed in this passage is that Jesus understands our work far better than us. And that was the revelation that these fishermen had, experts in fishing. And then along comes odd, weird church guy, and he teaches them something about their work. He's treading on their toes. They feel like they're in their comfort zone when it comes to knowing about catching fish and fixing nets and running their boats. And the whole thing about the deep water, and they would have known where the fish were. Probably the deep water meant that's like all the guys probably knew. The fish are never in the deep water, and they probably were geared up for night fishing. Maybe that was the best time to catch the fish. So Jesus is like, hey, it's midday, let's go out and catch some fish. And they were like, everybody knows there's no fish during the day. It's been a bad day anyway, so you know, maybe it's just bad karma, and it's not the day to go out and catch fish. So Jesus is like, Shall we just go out again? Maybe we'll catch a lot of fish. And of course, it it wasn't just them in their work, but all their colleagues who also ran fishing boat businesses were watching on as these guys are not just helping out the preacher with the use of the boat, but are now following his direction in doing their work. And of course, they catch this unbelievable catch a fish, some incredible experience where suddenly God turns up in their work and the unexpected happen. And it, and it wouldn't have just been either them and their partners and whatever else, because in, in this ancient world, everyone would have been involved in it. All the grannies and kids and all the mums and all the, you know, the people just sitting around not doing much, they would have all appeared at the moment when these boats overloading with fish turned up and there'd be little kids there with sticks hitting the fish on the head and just killing them and there'd be other people sort of getting them into baskets you're not squeamish are you and then you know there'd be old ladies with knives hacking out their guts and innards some bloke would have lit, you know got a barbecue going and have started like hey let's start selling fish anyone want to buy a lunch the whole the whole community and the whole society would have been involved i wonder what what all these other people thought I wonder what they thought about God just turning up in their place of work. Suddenly God is relevant to people who catch fish. And of course Simon, James and John end up, they're closer to the epicentre of this story. They end up uh, with this revelation that, oh my word, it's like God's representatives turned up. They're convicted of who they are and uh, they're brought to their needs in humility. And of course, this experience was a redefining of work experience for everyone involved in this story. He tells them, okay, now you're going to catch men, not fish. So if you want the full account of that, listen to Miriam's sermon. Uh, She'll tell you all about what happened there. For three of them, they're translated into being evangelists, Simon, James and John. But notice how, how th- that translation happens. Notice how powerfully, in effect, with that whole story, Jesus is affirming them in their work. He's not saying, guys, you've got a pants job. You're not even that good at it. 
I happen to have three openings for evangelists. You don't really make the grade, but I guess I could kind of let you in. Instead, he's saying, you are amazing people. You catch fish. You... So he understands something of their identity mixed in their work. And then he says to them, I, I want to draw your understanding of your work into an even bigger realm. And what, so what I'll do is I'll describe it to you in a way that absolutely honours who you are. How about you become people who now actually learn how to catch people, not just fish. It wasn't that they were called to give up everything and their identity and move to a, a new identity, but Jesus, in effect, affirmed who they already were and redefined their work for the sake of the kingdom. And of course, most of the fishermen stayed um, as fishermen in that story. In fact, the, the common titling of this passage is the calling of the fishermen. But that's not accurate because only three of them actually changed their jobs. For most of the fishermen in the community, this was a day when, through Jesus, they experienced that God is spiritual and involved in their work, and that their work is spiritual and something that's deeply connected to God. It's as if on that day, their, their work got, not secularised, but sacredized because God came to work. Now... I would love us to finish this talk together because you've got the idea. I want you to now think about your work. And remember I've explained to you, it doesn't just mean a job. It might be you're a student, might be your full-time mum or a dad. You may be a volunteer. You may, like probably for most of us, have numerous things that you could categorise as work. You might be renovating a house or you, you, understand, you understand the idea. And I want you to ask just this simple question. If, like in this story, Jesus turned up at your work tomorrow, what would he change? What, what would it look like if spirituality in the form of Jesus rocked up into your work tomorrow? Now, if, if like a few of us, you work for churches, it's a really, this is a really hard discussion. But for, for most of us with normal jobs, this is probably quite an exciting discussion. Okay, What would it look like if Jesus turned up at your work? So I'm going to give you five minutes. I know we're in pews and it's not like tables, but you can twist around and uh, find someone to chat to. Maybe split the pew down the middle or um, turn forwards or backwards. And let's answer that question as we discuss.